0: listening to Treasuring Scripture, a podcast of the weekly teaching ministry of Lebanon Baptist Church, Roswell, Georgia. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us at lebanonbaptist.org. Well, good morning. I hope you had a uh, super Christmas season and uh, enjoyed maybe having family home. I hope that your week was filled with uh, delight and joy, not just in the things, um, but in Jesus. Uh, somewhere, uh, f- for me, somewhere after Christmas, uh, but before the New Year, I start to think through the year, both kind of looking backwards, but then also looking forward to the New Year. Uh, and not, not every year, but often I'll try to write out some goals, some, some New Year's resolutions, as it were. In fact, I have a, I have a template. It kind of helps me think through different areas of my life. It covers things from, you know, relationship goals, financial goals, time usage, physical exercise, dieting, etc. And uh, I hope that you'll take some time to think through some goals for the new year. Uh, However, there is one goal that every single person in this room needs to have. And not only should you have it, but it should be your number 1 goal, okay? And that is the goal of loving God more in 2024. You see, it would, it would be a, a terrible failure to succeed in all the things that don't really matter. You may have a cleaner house, a more organized schedule, You may have maintained a plethora of distance relationships and even managed to save all the money that you had hoped for in the year. But if in the process you failed to love God, then you failed in the only area that really mattered. Now, before we jump in, uh, this idea of trying to love God more might sit wrongly with some of you, or not not wrongly, but, but heavily. It might be a weight. I mean, is it, is it really all that important to love God? Surely He knows what we have to go through down here, you know, on earth. I have a lot going on. It's not like He gains anything or needs us to love Him. I mean, I've got a new business that I've started. I've got to make sure my business is staying afloat. I don't have time to pause during the day and to think about God. Adding loving God just seems to add to my burdens. Hmm. What does it even mean to love God anyways? It seems to be just pie-in-the-sky talk. I mean, talk is cheap. Everyone says they love God. I mean, of course I love God. I mean, who doesn't, right? Do you think that I have time to stop and think about God, though, during the day? I mean, I already give so much to, to, of my time to Him as it is. I try and read my Bible each day. I I volunteer at church. I even go to growth groups. I take my kids to Awana faithfully. What else does he want from me? My plate is full. To even think about adding something else is just, well, it's burdening. It's depressing. It's discouraging. Or maybe you're wondering, how can I possibly love God? I already feel that I don't add up. Why would I want to put something that's so unattainable on my list. I've tried. I feel like I just have to work it up each time, like, you know, get the right surroundings around me, clear my mind. And then it's like I have to talk myself into some metaphysical experience where I convince myself that I love this God. But invariably, I come back to earth. It only lasts until my kid irritates me so much that I yell at him or until I'm sitting alone in my house because the only person that I've really loved on this earth is gone and I feel so empty. It's done me no good to try and love God except add pressure and guilt because I can't make myself love him. Or perhaps you have loved him. You have tasted and seen that God truly is good and you do love Him. And the question you would be asking is, well, then how do I love Him more? Is there anything that I can do to grow my affection, to grow my love for God, or is it just something that is? Well, these four questions, is it really important to love God? What does it even mean to love God? How can I love God? And how do I love Him more? Will be the substance of our time together this morning. I'll be seeking to lead you through multiple passages and hope to help us answer these questions sufficiently enough to provide us a starting place for your own discovery and for your own continued journey in loving God. And I hope that after today, you will long to love Him more at the end of 2024. Why don't we pray this morning and ask God to help us? Would you pray with me? Oh God, we need you desperately. Some of us, our hearts are so cold and dead that when we sing songs of your love for us, it just, it just bounces off. We have a hard time trying to have affections for you. We have a hard time treasuring and valuing and desiring you, maybe because of hurt, maybe because of worldly expectations. But God, we need you to come and to soften our hearts, to cause us to love you more. And Lord, that we might see you for who you really are and that it would be our joy and be our delight. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So we're gonna walk through those four questions that I mentioned and and what we're gonna do this morning is somewhat a theology of loving God, okay? Um, We're not gonna be able to cover everything. You know, as I I did this study, I was amazed once again at how beautiful God's Word is. It fits so perfectly together, passage after passage after passage as I ran through it and began to, to read through passages. It was just like, this is all saying the same thing. The message of loving God is so crucial. So question number one, is it really all that important? Should this be a primary on our resolution list for 2024? Okay, does this really matter? And I have three strong yeses, okay? Yes, because it's actually why you were created. Yes, it's, be, it's, be, it's why you were created. Psalm 24, verse one says this, the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. You are a created being who belongs to the creator. You are a product designed by the Creator for His purposes. That is both humbling as well as exalting at the same time. In Revelation chapter 4, Jesus, the Creator, is described in this way. It says, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or whether you drink, we should do all for the glory of God. It's all about him. It's all about his glory. It's about magnifying him because he's the creator. He gets to decide. He chooses the rules, Right? It was this way from the very beginning. Man was created to live under God's good rule, following his good word, because God was good. The Westminster Catechism states the chief end of man this way. The chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. You are created to love God. Okay, so is it important that you love God? Yes, because you were created to do this. You were created to glorify, to enjoy Him. Second, yes, is because the one who created you commanded it. Okay, the one who created you commanded it. The text that Pastor Brian read this morning in Mark chapter twelve: a scribe hears. Uh, the the Sadducees debating and talking with Jesus and he hears he notices that Jesus is answering them well and he says which commandment is the most important of all and Jesus answered the most important is and he quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6 the Shema okay one of the oldest confessions of faith preserved from antiquity It was in the context of Moses reviewing the law with the children of Israel before they went into the promised land. Deuteronomy, though it's the fifth and final book of the Torah, is the first book of the Bible to demand love for God. And the primary focus of this command of love is actually loyalty. Okay? Within the context of Deuteronomy, this command was... For loyalty, would the children of Israel be loyal to the one God? The one true God who had chosen them out of all the peoples, who had rescued them from slavery, who had chosen them to put his presence in their midst. And within this context, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the people of Israel are warned that there are two things that could possibly tempt them to stop loving God. And there are two things that are prevalent even within our own congregation. Prosperity and trials. Prosperity and trials. Prosperity might cause them to forget God. And a trial may cause them to grow cynical and testing. And so Jesus says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. He's emphasizing that it's your entire being. All of you should be involved in loving God. This is a command from our creator. So is it important? The answer is yes. Yes. Because the one who made you has commanded you that you should love him with all of your being. But then thirdly, yes, because your eternity actually depends on it. Your eternity depends on it. In James chapter one, it says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Do you see that? Life is promised to those who love God. Now, I don't believe that this is a special, like, crown for, like, the super Christian, okay? I don't believe that. I believe that this is life that is given to those that love God. If you love God, you get life. (laughs) Because is he not life? In him is life. James chapter 2 verse 5, it says, Listen, my brothers, has God not chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he has promised to those who love him? The kingdom of God is promised to those who love God. In 2 Timothy 4.8, Paul says there's laid up for him a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall award to me on that day, and not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. Righteousness is given to those who love God. Negatively, in 1 Corinthians 16... As Paul concludes the book, his first letter to the, to, to the church there at Corinth, he says this, If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be, what? Accursed. Let him be accursed. It's basically saying, he goes to hell. Okay? If you don't love God, then you go to hell. Interestingly enough, this has echoes of Genesis. This has echoes of the, the garden scene, right? Where God is given a command. And they are to yield their hearts and submit their hearts to his word, to him. And to ultimately, really, to choose him over their own glory. To choose his glory over their own glory. And what does man do? Chooses instead to love self. In many ways, we are faced with the same question and the same test. Will you love you or will you love God? If you reject loving God, you don't get God, okay? And if you don't get God, that means you don't get life. It means you don't get light. It means you don't get joy. It means you don't get pleasure. You don't get happiness. You don't get everything good because every good thing comes from God. And so it's so crucial and it's so important for you to love God. Why? Well, you were created to love God. And your creator commanded that you love God and your eternity depends on you loving God. So let me just ask you a quick question. Do you love God? Often when uh, the teens would come back from from college. They'd go for a year to college or, uh, or maybe they'd go to camp or they'd do something. They'd come back from some type of an experience. I would take them out to lunch and I'd talk with them. And one of the questions I would regularly seek to ask them was this, so do you love God more now that you've gone to school and learned more about him? And sometimes that question would catch them off guard. Well, why else, why else did you go to school? Why else would you do the things you do? If, is not this the most important thing? Do you love God? If you're doing what you're doing does not help you love God, but rather detracts from loving God, then you're doing the wrong things. Do you love God? It's a really important question. So, is this really important? The very first question we ask, is this really that important? Absolutely. It is absolutely essential. It is absolutely important. So second question. Well, then what does it mean? What do, what do we mean when we say love God? When, when Jesus said, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, what, what did he actually mean by that? What does that look like? What is it? Like, what are we talking about here? And I thought, as I began to think through how to describe this, I decided, you know, I'm going to go to the Psalms. And just kind of, I, I, my, the psalms in my Bible are all marked up. They're underlined and circled and there's little notes in the margins and things of that sort. And I, I thought, you know, I'm going to go through and look at where I've marked the psalmist declaring his love for God. And you know what? I didn't get very far. I mean, I was just like, I started just writing down passage after passage after passage. And I began, it was, it was almost overwhelming how much. So, so I've got a few of them for us to look at. And you'll notice they're all kind of towards the beginning. I didn't, I, I didn't make it very far. Okay. So you could do this, okay? This could be a goal in 2024 is that you go through the psalms and you journal all the times that the psalmist is declaring love, adoration, affection, praise, thanksgiving to God and notice how he loves God. So what does it look like to maybe love God or what does it mean to love God? Psalm 17:15. As for me, I shall behold your face in righteousness. When I awake, I shall be satisfied with your likeness. I would, I would suggest to you as you read through scriptures, you're going to find that loving God is being satisfied with him. Being satisfied with him. Okay, Psalm 34:8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 46:4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. so being satisfied with god or secondly cherishing him as a treasure so whatever this love is to love god it looks like being satisfied with him it looks like cherishing him as a valuable or the most valuable treasure psalm 18:1 i love you o lord my strength i mean listen to these verses he's overwhelmed i love you o lord my strength The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. He's just going on and on. Let me just tell you about my God and what he is. Psalm 16, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Even in Psalm 19, there's a whole description of just the words of God and how they're to be more desired than gold, even fine gold, and they're sweeter than honey. The words of God. Or Psalm 42, 1 through 2, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you. Oh God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. So what does it mean to love God? It means being satisfied with him. It means cherishing him as a treasure, but it also means choosing him above all else. Because of who he is. Psalm 16:5, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. Psalm 27, 4, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. The psalmist said there's one thing that I want. There's one thing that I will pursue. And it's actually that I might find God mine. I want him. The glory of God should be our delight. What is the glory of God? Well, it's the display of who he is, right? We look into the the night sky and we see the stars, or as Brian said, we, we can look at a microscope or a telescope and we can see the glory of God. Think of, think of glory as far as us glorifying God. Think of it, think of it as a telescope, not a microscope. Okay, a microscope takes that, that which is small and makes it big. What does a telescope do? A telescope helps you see something that's way, way beyond you. And it helps you see the reality of it. Wow. The glory of God. When you glorify God, what you do is you actually display who he is. Because you're enthralled with him. Because you love him. We should be in love with his beauty, in love with his perfections, in love with his holiness. To see the glory of God and to be exposed to it would be an awesome thing. Something we would forever be thinking of and forever we would be desiring it. We would want to keep it. I mean, you remember remember um, James and John and Peter? Right? They go up on the Mount of Transfiguration and they see the glory of God and what do they want to do? Let's just stay here, can we? Can we pause all of time? Can we just you know, freeze everybody and then let's just stay here? Can we just remain here? If you saw God, if you saw his glory, if you saw his beauty, it would forever change you. Now so far, so far in my message, I could be um, speaking to a group of practicing Jews. And I could be speaking to, well, I could be speaking to some in the belief system of Islam, or Jehovah's Witnesses, or Mormons. But there's something different about loving God, that I want to make sure that we key in on here. Okay, so bear with me for a second as we we dive into a few more scriptures. Because if we're going to ask, what does it really look like or what does it mean to love God, we have to consider this. Okay, we have to consider this. We must love Jesus in this way. We must love Jesus in this way way. John 1, 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Remember the glory of God we were talking about? Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Or consider Hebrews 1, 1 through 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. And listen to this verse. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. You want to see God? You want to see his glory and be drawn to it? be exposed to it in such a way that it transforms you and that it makes you want more of it, then you need to encounter the person of Jesus Christ. If you love God, then you love Jesus. In John 14, 9, Philip asks Jesus, he says, Jesus, just, just show us the Father. <laughs> just show us the Father, that'll be enough. Jesus said to him, If you had known me, you would have known the Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. In John 8, 42, Jesus told the Pharisees, If God were your father you would love me. So let me ask you a question. Do you love Jesus? Do you love him? Because what it looks like to love God is to be satisfied with Jesus. Remember those things we just mentioned earlier? Being satisfied with, treasuring him as a cherishing him as a treasure, choosing him above all else. We must do those things to Jesus. In John chapter four, Jesus told the woman of the well that if she knew who it was that, that asked her for a drink, she would ask him and he would give her the living water and that that water would be in her a spring welling up into eternal life. Jesus is the all-satisfying one. Cherishing him as a treasure? Well, Paul said, Paul said that he lived this, this really blameless, righteous life according to the law. Like he was a good guy. He did everything right. He says this, I counted all of that, all the blameless, moral uprightness, moral righteousness that i done by the law. He says, I counted it as dung so that I might, what, gain Jesus. You see, Jesus is great gain. Jesus is a treasure worth cherishing and worth holding onto. In Matthew 10, 37, Jesus said this, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. You see, to love God is actually to show preference to God over everything else. Everything else. This is what it means to love God. To say, I'm going to choose him above every other thing. In Deuteronomy, back with the, the, the Shema passage, in Deuteronomy 19, the Israelites are warned that as they go through this journey to the promised land that they would see the gods of the other nations. Their gold and their silver and that they would be drawn to that. In fact, there's a great strong warning in Deuteronomy where where Moses warns the people, God warns the people, and he says, if you depart and your heart, your heart, which is supposed to be loving me and loyal to me, turns and goes after these other gods, And at the same time, you bless yourself and say, "Ah, it's not that important that I love God. It's not a big deal. I'll be fine. I'll be good. Though I go in the way of my own eyes, I'll be fine. The warning is no, no, actually you won't be fine. Because you'll be rejecting life. And so you won't get it. So, Choosing him over all others. Jesus is this very treasure that we're talking about. Now, we, we've got to, I've got to deal with one more thing here. And I don't have a slide for this. John 14, 15. Jesus said, if you love me, do any of you remember what it says after that? You will what? Obey. You'll, you'll keep my commandments. You'll obey my commandments. Now, I want to be really careful here, okay? Because it says, if you love me, stop, then you will keep my commandments. In other words, loving does not equal keeping commandments. Do you see that? In other words, if you love me, well then, you will keep my commandments. However, however, go to 1 John chapter 5. And again, I don't have this one up there. Go to 1 John chapter 5. We're going to come back to this passage a little while later and it will be on the screen a little bit later, but for now I want you to look at this. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, says this. For this is the love of God. Now, this is very interesting how he says this. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. Now, that one seems to just say it straight up. Loving God equals keeping His commandments. However, the phrase continues, and his commandments are not burdensome. I strongly believe this is partially why Jesus answered that scribe the way he did when he said, Almost, almost you are to the kingdom of heaven, you're not far. Because you know what I think a lot of us in this room potentially are stuck in? We're stuck in trying to prove our love to God by keeping all of his commandments and yet all of his commandments are burdensome for us. <sighs> I gotta obey God? I gotta love God? Ugh! Seriously? Just keeps me from wanting to, to keeps me from do what I wanna do. This passage says, And we're going to learn this in just a little bit, okay? That those who are born of God, their heart is transformed so that the commands of God are no longer burdensome, but a delight. Okay? So yes, is loving God, if we're asking the question, remember, we're still on the second question. What does it mean to love God? What does it look like to love God? It would be to obey his commandments, but to obey them in such a way that they're not burdensome in such a way that they don't just heap up guilt and heap, heap up you know, more to do on your, on your to-do list. I mean, none of us need more on that list. It's already long enough. Okay. So, what does it look like? Or what does it mean? What do we mean by loving God? We mean being satisfied with Jesus. We mean treasuring him, cherishing him, choosing him above all others, and obeying him in such a way that it's actually delight. That's what we mean by loving God. So let me ask you another question. Do you love God? Do you love Jesus? So now we're going to take these last two questions. How how do I get that love? How can I possibly love in that way? How can I love God? If that's what it means to love God, how? How do I do this? Glad you asked. Because number one, it was actually promised as a gift. This love was promised as a gift to you and to me. Deuteronomy 36, God said that he would actually circumcise their hearts. The the children of Israel, he said, I I will. It was a future thing. I will circumcise your heart. Okay? Okay. Basically, he says, I'm going to do surgery on your heart so that you no longer have a hard heart, but you have a soft heart. In fact, there's a purpose for it. The purpose for this heart change is so that you will love the Lord your God. He promised he would do it. In Ezekiel 36, he also promised he would give them a new heart and a new spirit. He said, he said a new spirit I will put within you With the idea that it would be a causal instrument causing them to love him, causing them to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments. So what is that miracle? What is that heart procedure called? And we see it in the New Testament and it's called the new birth. It's called the new birth. Being born again. You need to be born again. In John chapter 3, the story of Nicodemus, Jesus tells Nicodemus that he must be born on a thin, born from above, born again. You have to have a spiritual birth. God promised that he would do this in the Old Testament. He promised he would give this as a gift and he would give new hearts to people so that they could love him. So now take a little bit closer look then back at that First John chapter 5 passage, okay? If for some reason you've turned away from that, go back to 1 John chapter 5. Mark, as he was leading the songs, he quoted a verse from 1 John chapter 4 that says, we love, why? Because he first loved us. Look at this, chapter 5 verse 1, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments. We looked at this a little bit earlier. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. I'd like you to to see something here, and that is this. Verse 4. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. You see just like the Israelites were journeying through the wilderness and they would would see the gods of other peoples and be enticed by them, you are making a journey through this world. And as you go through this world, there will be many, many gods vying for your heart. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride, the hubris of life. It's vying for your heart. It's vying for your affection. And all the glitters is seeking to distract you. But the one who's been born of God overcomes that. He overcomes the world. Wow. Okay, so how? How do we possibly love God more than all these other things? How do we possibly cherish Jesus as a treasure? How do we possibly find satisfaction in him? Well, you must be born again. You must have new life given to you as a gift. Because if you don't have new life, it does not work. You cannot work this up on your own. You cannot manufacture love for God. You need to be born again. This is not loading up your spiritual calendar with all sorts of good things to somehow impress or communicate to God that you love Him. This is a heart, rather, that has been softened by God, that is enthralled with God, that cherishes Him, that values Him, and is loyal to Him above everything else. Let me ask you some questions, real quick. What tempts you to be disloyal to God? It could be things. Things could tempt you. Pleasures could tempt you. Titles, positions, even glory and honor, respect. All of those things can tempt you. And you could want them more than you want God. But what causes you to be disloyal? Is it a trial? Maybe it's prosperity on the one side, but maybe it's a trial. Are you the type of person that when trials hit, you tend to say, oh, my life is a wreck. This is so hard. This is so difficult. God must not be good. God must not love me. God must not have my good in mind because that's disloyal to God. Versus the person who, when they come upon a trial, they come upon a hard time. They say, oh, this is so hard. But God must have something he's doing. There's something he's seeking to accomplish. There's something he's doing for his own glory and for my good. You see, if you separate the glory of God, which, by the way, is fully manifested in the person of Jesus Christ. If you separate him from your joy, well, what is there? the chief end of man, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So what do you need in order to be able to love this way? Well, you need to be born again. You need new life from God. Because God demonstrated his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. Have you been born again? Jonathan Edwards famously wrote a treatise and it was a sermon initially on religious affections because there's a lot of activity going on in his day, this, this whole great awakening stuff, right? And there were, there were detractors, those people that didn't believe it, it was all a bunch of fake stuff, right? And then there were people who were just like, you know, gung-ho and like running up and down the aisles type people and it was like, and he, he, was, he was defending the reality that God does change people's affections and hearts, and He gives them new life. And He's describing what it actually looked like religious affections, a love and a passion for God and His glory. Do you love God and His glory? Do you love Jesus? Are you loyal to Him? Or have you been, been caught? In the affairs of this life, the affairs of this world. Because those who have been born of God, they overcome the world. And how do they overcome the world? Through their faith. Faith that is a gift that has been given to them. Okay? That's 1 John chapter 5. We don't have time, but there's a unique comparison that you could do between 1 John 5, specifically the text that says that if you love God or that this is love, that you keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Compare that with Paul's description of his righteousness in his good works and what he considered them before coming to Jesus okay before coming to Jesus he considered all those good things that he had done according to the law really good things done because they were burdensome <laughs> because they were burdensome he was seeking to just work his way and to prove himself blameless and until he actually found Jesus he didn't have that so last question those of you who are here, and you, you know God. You love God. You love Jesus. And you're asking the question, so how, how do I love him more? Can I, can I love him more? How do, I, how do I fan this into a flame? How do I continue to have a, a passionate love, loyalty, satisfaction, treasuring of the person of Jesus Christ? And I'd say, first of all, love the gospel every single day. Love the gospel every single day. Again, I don't have this passage up there, but turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. When Paul is writing about the light of the gospel, okay? Let's just start in verse 3. He says, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled only to those who are perishing in their case. The God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing something. And this is the something that you must see every day. You must see this every day, right? To keep them from seeing the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ. Who is the image of God? You see this? For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servant for Jesus' sake. And now listen to this verse, verse six. Highlight it, underline it, circle it, do whatever you need, memorize it. For God who said, here's the creator. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts. He's done a miracle in our hearts to give a gift. And that gift is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, in the face of who? Jesus Christ. Where do you see the glory? Where do you find your heart drawn towards it? It's in the person of Jesus Christ. So, guess what? Every single day, you need to saturate yourself in the gospel. Love the gospel every single day. Behold the person of Jesus as much as you possibly can. The more you see of him, the more you will love him. Number two, see how, fall, see how you fall short of the glory of God. Now, I said it this way on purpose because Romans 3.23, we've been working our way through Romans, says that we all fall short of the glory of God. In other words, we don't do it justice. We don't reflect it properly. We don't love it properly, okay? And if we'll see how far we fall short then we will see what great chasm was spanned by the love of God for us. Here are three passages I want you to write down that I want you to read later because we don't have time to go through them because they're whole sections of Scripture. Luke chapter 7 with the, the sinful woman, right, who interrupts the feast. Jesus said at the end of that, he said, those who have been forgiven little love little but those who are forgiven much love much. You want to love God more? Ask him to show you how much he's forgiven you. If you could possibly sit there in your heart and say, does God really love me? (laughs) Really? How has God loved me? Look no further than your own sin and ask, ask God to make it a big deal to you so that you might see the beauty of his forgiveness. So, Luke chapter seven, John chapter four, the woman at the well, read that passage. Love that passage. Because you see the delight that Jesus has in finding a worshiper and satisfying her soul. Matthew chapter 18, the parable of the unforgiving servant. Because here you see again that if you're, if you're forgiven, then you forgive. There's much love in your heart if you've been forgiven. But if you haven't been forgiven, well then you will judge other people and you'll be harsh. So remember those passages. And then lastly, as we close up today, I want us to look at 1 Peter. Open your Bibles, go to 1 Peter. Chapter 1. Again, I want you just to see how the word of God just is so perfect. It's so perfect. Verse three, it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, what has he done? (laughs) He's caused us to be born again. (sighs) There it is. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead look down at verse 8 though you have not seen him you love him though you do not now see him you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls scan down to verse 22 Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth. Obedience to the truth, by the way, is believing in Jesus, okay? Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, he says this, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. A transformed heart, a softened heart, a pure heart. Since you have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Then down to the bottom of verse 25. And this word, that word of God, this word is the good news that was preached to you. And then you just go a little bit farther. Chapter two, verse two. So like newborn infants, those who've been born of God, like newborn infants, what should you do? Long, for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Do you see how many passages we have read today that all say the same thing? That all talk about the exact same thing? It's because God is doing something amazing on this earth in transforming people and in giving them soft hearts that so they love God. Do you love God? Do you love Jesus? You can because he offers it as a gift. And if you want to love him more, dive deeply into that word, the word of the gospel, the word of truth, and learn more of Jesus. In closing, I again just want to ask a few questions and then we're going to pray. Is it really worth loving God? Is loving God really important? Yes, it is. Because the creator who made you commanded it, and your eternity depends on it. What does it look like? Loving God looks like being satisfied with him, cherishing him as your ultimate treasure finding your soul's delight in him and his glory, namely the person of Jesus Christ. You love Jesus and choosing him above everything else. Putting all other resolutions, all other goals, all other ambitions are subservient to the one that you might love Jesus. And the only way that's possible is if you've been born again. How can you love God like this? You need to be born again. You need to receive the gift of life that God offers. It's a free gift. Not by works, but rather by his divine mercy and grace. Receive it. Be transformed in your inner being. And then, pursue the gospel. Pursue a relationship with Jesus with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength. Make that the ambition of your life and you will not miss the target. It would be a sad thing if you succeeded in 2024 in every area but this one. But oh, how glorious would it be if you lost your life but found Jesus. Thank you for listening to Treasuring Scripture. It's our desire that every Christian treasure God's Word in their heart. To follow our podcast, please hit the subscribe button. If you're interested in learning more about our church, please visit lebanonbaptist.org.